17, we're going to begin a new series today. The book of Acts chapter 17, and we're going to read from verse 1 to verse 9. When you got it, say so. And it says, Now when they had passed through Amphipolis and Apollonia, they came to Thessalonica, where there was a synagogue of the Jews. Then Paul, as his custom was, went into them, and for three Sabbath Sabbaths reasoned with them from the Scriptures, explaining and demonstrating that the Christ had to suffer and rise again from the dead, and saying, This Jesus, whom I preach to you, is the Christ. And some of them were persuaded, and a great multitude of the devout Greeks, and not a few of the leading women, joined Paul and Silas. And verse 5 says, But the Jews, who were not persuaded, becoming envious, took some of the evil from the marketplace, and gathering a mob, sent, set all of the city in an uproar, and attacked the house of Jason, and sought to bring them out to the people." But when they did not find them, they dragged Jason and some brethren to the rulers of the city, crying out, These who have turned the world upside down have come here too. Jason has harbored them, and these are all acting contrary to the decrees of Caesar, saying there is another king, Jesus. And they troubled the crowd and the rulers of the city when they, when they heard these things. So when they had taken security from Jason and the rest, they let them go. God, we thank you for your word today. We thank you for your grace today. And we just pray, Lord, for your wisdom as your word is preached. We pray for hearts that are sensitive, that are submitted, and that are yielded to your truth. We pray that you would open our ears, that we would hear from you clearly, Lord God, and that we would not just be doers of your word, but that we would be the, not just hearers of your word, but that we would be doers of it, God, that we would hear you clearly, that we would obey you fully, Lord, and that we would glorify you in all things. We thank you for this, and we pray this in Jesus' good name. And everyone said... Amen. You may be seated in the presence of the Lord. And so if you don't have an outline, just raise your hand and the ushers will get you an outline. I want to be sure that you are able to follow along um, in the introduction of the sermon. Want to be able, want, want to be sure that you are able to take some notes. Um, we are starting a new series today. That series is entitled Upside Down. And so as my intention was in the beginning of this, it was to start a series and I was going to deal with um, all of the differences uh, that we that we see within scripture versus culture. And I will do that throughout this series, but the one thing that the Lord really put on my heart in a big way is when we declare weekly, we say every week, we say we're committed to loving God, we're committed to growing together, we're committed to serving, and we are committed to reaching others. And as I thought through that, I realized, and, and as I was praying through this, I realized something that if we declare that weekly, then we must believe, or at least someone that you know is telling us to say this, believes that that has the ability to change our culture. If we as a church are really committed to those four things, which, are, which is the staple of our mission, right, which is to be a disciple-making church, then we must be able, through those things, to bring change to our culture. And one of the, one of the verses that, or, or the key verse 
us here is verse 6. And if you look at verse 6, it says, But when they did not find them, they dragged Jason and some of the brethren to the rulers of the city, crying out, These who have turned the world upside down have come here too. That's that, that statement, and, and you guys know I've preached through the book of Acts a few times. We're not going to preach through the whole thing. We will look at some points in the book of Acts. This is really one of my favorite books in the Bible, and the reason is because it shows what happens after the resurrection of Jesus. It shows 30 years of church history. It shows our foundation. It shows what we look like from the beginning, from the upper room, and, and moving forward until the time where the Apostle Paul is imprisoned. And so we see what God is doing. And when I look at this, this is what I realized was happening. Verse 6 to me describes what happened in the book of Acts. It was the world was being turned upside down by the power of God, by a disciple making people, by disciples of Jesus. And so I want us to think about that. And today we're going to deal with the topic of loving God. We're going to talk about loving God. But if you look at your outline with me, as we look at our culture and the moral standards for life being lowered, the biblical standards of truth being rejected, and traditional standards for society being laughed at, we can clearly see that our nation is in desperate need of supernatural intervention. We need to see the Spirit of God moving on a, on a different level in our nation. We have, we have so many, I mean, I, don't, I can't even tell you how many churches there are in this nation. There's tons and tons of churches in this nation. There are tons and tons, tons of people who would claim Christianity as their religion, whether they're Catholic or whether they're Protestant, which there is a difference and we need to understand that. But the reality is when I look at all of those claims and then I see the way the culture is going, I have to question how valid are those claims. I have to question how real are those commitments to Jesus? How real are we being in our devotion to Christ? Are we really being committed to God the way that we should be? Because when I look at my Bible and I see people and, and I have, and, and you know, the beauty of this is that God literally, and we'll look at chapter one in a moment, but God literally used a doctor, a historian to be the one to write this book, the book of Acts within our Bibles. And it's so powerful for us to consider that because this wasn't just some guy. This was a person who was educated. This is a person who knew how to do research and what he did under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit and by, and, and by walking with Peter and walking with Paul and interviewing all of these people who lived during that time. This guy got such a clear picture and he walked through some of the things that were happening here. And so we see what the church can be like within a culture. The reason why I played the video here in the beginning wasn't to depress you or discourage you. I just wanted you to see something that I thought is reflective. The truth of the matter is, what do people think about Christians? When people think about Christianity, what do they think about us? What do they think about us? What, what do they think uh, uh, about us in, 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 our, in our relationships with each other? What do they think about us in the way that we live our lives? How do they view us? Because those things become really important for us to consider if we are going to go and make a great impact in our culture. And I said this last week, I believe, uh, that, that there are many who would say that we are irrelevant within the culture. And I just want to let you know again, I want to affirm to you that's a lie from the pit of hell. As long as we are committed to what we're called to be doing. See, we're irrelevant if we're doing other things, but if we are committed to making disciples, then we are going to be a church that is going to make a great impact in the culture, and we can see God do great things. Last part of that paragraph there in the outline, in the introduction there, the church 
living empowered by the Spirit of God and committed to the Word of God, has the potential to turn the world upside down once again. I want to read that again. The church, living empowered by the Spirit of God and committed to the Word of God, has the potential to turn the world upside down once again. Do you believe that? Do you believe that? I believe it. If I didn't, I wouldn't be standing here today. I 100% am assured that a church that is filled with the power of God, that is walking in devotion to the word of God, is a church that is able to turn the world upside down again because God is moving through us. We can see God do great and mighty things. And so here's what I want you to think about today. A commitment to loving God is foundational to turning the culture upside down. A commitment to loving God is foundational to turning the culture upside down. So the foundation, for those of you that just went through our Core Faith 101, and for those of you that just finished our Core Foundations course, we talked about loving God. And what I, and what I believe about being a disciple of Jesus is that love Loving God is so important. Everything we do as believers is rooted in our love for God. You see, the difference between religion, right, that is, that is taxing and overwhelming and, and something that we can't continue on in is your relationship with God. It's the motivation. See, when I only do things because I'm afraid of judgment, guess what? I'm going to start forgetting about judgment when it doesn't happen. Check it out. Think about this as parenting, right? If you're parenting and you're always threatening your child, I'm going to spank you. I'm going to spank you if you keep doing that. And you don't spank them. What do they do? They get laxed. They keep doing what they're doing because what? There is no judgment that comes. Can I tell you one of the greatest issues in our day today, the reason why people live so laxed is because they don't see immediate judgment. It's because they sin against God and they don't see an immediate ramification for their actions. They don't see the lightning bolt from heaven strike down and do something devastating in their lives. Because they don't see that immediately, then you know what happens? They forget. But here's the thing. When your motivation is love, when your motivation is love, when you are motivated by love for God, you're not, you're not worried about judgment. That's not why you're living for him. You're living for him. You're obeying him because you love him, because you are grateful for what Jesus has done. And so again, a commitment to loving God is foundational to turning the culture upside down. The first thing I want to ask you to repeat after me is this. Say, the gospel message contains the power of God to turn the world upside down. The gospel message contains the power of God to turn the world upside down. And I want you to recognize something that, that we see throughout the book of Acts. What we see throughout the book of Acts is one thing. There is a message that is consistent. It is the gospel. The message never changes. The, the, the message never changes. The focus never changes. They're always communicating the gospel, the truth of the gospel. And, and why is this so important for us when, in connection to our love for God? It is because the greatest demonstration demonstration of God's love is the gospel. Are you here? The greatest demonstration of God's love toward us is seen in the gospel. The cross of Jesus Christ 
What Jesus did on the cross is the greatest demonstration of God's love. It's the greatest showing of God's love. And what happens is when we are moved by the love that God shows us, we reciprocate that and we show him love. We begin to love him back because he loved us first. See, when our lives have been impacted by the power of the gospel, here's what happened. God's love arrests our hearts. God's love captivates our hearts. God's love does something to us because we realize how much he has done to show us his love. What he has done to demonstrate our value to him. He shows us how much he loves us. And so when we think about the gospel message, what I want you to look at, look at verses 1 through 5. And, and, and Paul begins to um, talk here. Or We're just going to skip down a little bit. We'll go to verse 3. And it says this, so he was going into the Sabbaths and he was reasoning. And verse 3 says, explaining and demonstrating that the Christ had to suffer and rise again from the dead and saying, this Jesus whom I preach to you is the Christ. This Jesus who I preach to you is the Christ. This was the message that was there, that Jesus had to suffer and he had to rise from the dead. And so when we look at the gospel, here's what I want you to understand. When you think of the gospel, the gospel is not just a bunch of laws, right? The gospel is about, number one, a God who is holy and good. So if you're taking notes, you can write this down because I want to take, uh, take, take some time to expand a little bit on the gospel. The gospel starts with a God who is good and a God who is holy. Well, we see in the beginning of our Bibles, the gospel does not begin in the book of Matthew. The gospel begins in the book of Genesis. The word of God is the entire gospel narrative. It's all about God. It's about God, what he did. It's about humanity, what we did, and how we mess things up, what God did to fix it, and what he's doing to make everything right. See, that's the meta-narrative of scripture. The Bible is one story, right, beginning from the beginning to the end. But here's what happens. In the beginning, this good God, this holy God, this love Loving God creates us. And so it starts with him, and then it goes to a people, a people who did what? A people who rejected his holiness because we didn't obey his laws, and we rejected his goodness because he gave us everything, and we felt that we could do things on our own, and nothing has changed. We're the same way. We reject God's laws. I gave you this statistic years ago when I first read it, but, but they polled people in our culture. I think they were between the ages of 18 and 35, and I want to say some 80% of that age group said this. They said that they believe the Bible is real. They believe that it is accurate in everything that it says. The reason they don't submit to God is because they don't want to obey him. They don't want someone to tell them what to do. Come on now. That's a sad reality. But that's how we live our lives. And so the, Bible, the gospel starts with God who is loving, who is gracious, who is good, who is holy, with people who reject him. And because of our rejection of him, we bring sin into the world. Jesus had to suffer. That's what Paul said. This is the gospel message. Why did Jesus have to suffer? Because we couldn't earn righteousness. Because we cannot make ourselves right. We cannot make ourselves good enough. When the law entered in through Moses, when the law came, all of a sudden, you know what men begin to understand? They understood two things. Number one, they understood the standards of God. Number two, they understood they couldn't keep them. That's what they understood. They understood that no matter how good they would have a day or a week or a month or a year, they were not able to keep the standards of God perfectly. It's the same thing today. We cannot keep God's standards perfectly. Therefore, we cannot save ourselves. So that means our church attendance. That means our giving. That means our good works. That means our anything that we do falls short, right? 
It falls short. And so what do we need? We need a Savior, which is the next part of the gospel. It is about a Savior who did what? He died in our place and rose again for our justification. That's a beautiful thing. And so when we hear the gospel presentation, we realize that it starts with God. It moves to people, their sinfulness, the the sin that enters the world because of them. And then it goes to this amazing Savior who suffered in our place, died for our sins, did for us what we couldn't do for ourselves, lived perfectly, fulfilled the law completely, fulfilled prophecies completely, and then he rises again. He had to rise again. If Jesus doesn't rise, he can't save us. Listen, the resurrection becomes so very important. The gospel is empty. Listen to me now. The gospel is empty without the resurrection. If Jesus, this is so important for us to grasp, if Jesus did not rise, our words are of no avail. Our religion is of no avail. Paul says that we are, that we are living in vain. We're believing in vain in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Because what? If Jesus didn't rise, we have nothing to stand upon. We're still in our sins. But he had to rise in order to do what? In order to be able to earn and grasp and and, and gain for us our justification from our sins. And the beauty of this is that the gospel message doesn't end there because when you put your faith in Jesus, this is beautiful. Now you have this new life that you live. Now you have this new identity that you gain because of the fact that you, listen, because of what he did, you could not do it for yourself. You put your faith in what he does. You know how God sees you? He sees you from that moment as his son, as his daughter. You gain a new identity as a beloved child of God. A new identity. No longer are you the person that you used to be. No longer does he see you in your old sin. No longer does he see you in that way of being when you put your faith in him. And he promises you that you can receive forgiveness of sin whenever you fall short because you will, even after you put your faith in Christ. He promises us that because he wants this relationship. And we have this new life and we have eternal life. Eternal life, a relationship with God that begins now and that is going to what? Going to take us into eternity and for all of eternity we get to be with him. That, my friends, is the beauty of the gospel. That is the message of hope that we have. And that is the message that turned the world upside down when the, when the church came on the scene. It was the same message that was preached over and over and over again. The Apostle Paul says this. He says, listen, I didn't do anything but preach Christ and Christ crucified. He wasn't trying to come over there and blow people's minds. He was trying to let people know there is one you've been searching for. Why did he say this? He says this very clearly. Look at verse 3 at the end. He says, this Jesus whom I preach to you is the Christ. He is the Messiah. He is the Savior. He is the one you have been searching for. Hello now. He is the one that you have been searching for. He is the one you've been waiting for. He is the one that you've been looking around, seeing if he's coming. Yes, he has come already. And so when we look at, again, going back to the video in the beginning, pretty discouraging. But you know what the bottom line is? The world doesn't even realize what they're searching for. They are searching for Christ. That's the reason why it's so important for us to have a commitment to what? To loving God. See, the resurrection is revolutionary. Why? Because it's still, it it, it is what gives us, it is the power of God. When we look at the resurrection, it is God's power on display. Why does this matter so much? Because when we think about the resurrection, here's what happens. You are not committed to some system. You are not committed to some institution. You are not committed to some um, legal... 
anything like that. You are committed to a person. Are you here? You see, we're not called to allegiance just to a system of morality. We're called to be moral for sure. We're not called to allegiance to some institution. For sure, we're called to be part of the body of Christ. That, 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 that's, that's a biblical thing. But that is not where it starts. See, every other religion is void of that. Every other religion calls people to their belief system without a savior. To their belief system with a dead God or a dead prophet, someone that they're waiting on. Guess what? We're not waiting any longer. Our prophet rose. Our Savior rose. Our Messiah rose. See, so we have something that we can be excited about, and we have to look at who we are committed to. The second thing I want to ask you to repeat after me is this. Say, we must believe that God is still able to turn the world upside down. We must believe that God is still able to turn the world upside down. I said it. Listen, I believe that. Do you? Do you believe that God is still able, or are you going to believe the hype that you hear in the culture? You're going to believe those naysayers in the culture, even within the church, right? The professing church that don't believe in the power of God, the power of God's ability to bring change into a culture. Are you going to believe those lying voices in the culture that say that we should be quiet, that we should stay shut, that we should not um, be vocal and communicate faith in public areas and things like that? Listen, if you believe that way, then you're going to have a hard time swallowing this point here. But if you believe, if you believe what the word of God teaches, then you embrace this point. And you say, God is still able to do this. And I read the verse already, so I'm not going to read it again. But the one thing that I want to say is I, is, is I want you to notice what happens because this becomes so important. Look at verse 5. It says, but the Jews who were not persuaded. So there was a bunch of people that were persuaded through the preaching of Paul. And here's what I want you to realize, that there are going to be a lot of people that are not persuaded to the truth. There are going to be a lot of people. And listen, we live in a day where people pick and choose morality. Are you here? You know, I, it was funny, this weekend my wife said I turned into a nerd. Um, they have this, this hearing. I've never, ever, ever, ever watched C-SPAN. It's exciting, exciting TV. Um, the worst, like you have everything HD now. I don't know why. I don't understand why they don't have, it seems like nothing is HD. It's terrible. But nonetheless, I'm watching this because I, I, I got intrigued, right? I happened to turn on there um, when they were, you know, doing the, they were doing the, the confirmation hearing uh, for, you know, this, this judge that they just appointed. And it was fun. I've never seen I mean, I thought this was awesome. Like, I've never actually watched this. I don't know if it's always been like this, but it's actually pretty exciting. Like, you see people protesting in there. Like, they're in the middle of this thing. Like, in the middle, like, people are talking like, ah, and they're, like, yelling in the background. I'm like, wow, this is crazy stuff. And then you see senators, like, going back and forth. It's, it's intense, right? Like, I'm trying to get you excited about C-SPAN. Um, <laughs> but one of the, one of the questions that, that was asked, right, one of the questions that was asked of the judge that I, thought was a really, that I thought was a really good question is they said to him, they said, do you think that it is immoral to fire someone because of their race? Do you think that it is immoral to fire someone because of their gender identification? You think it's immoral to do that kind of stuff. And, you know, I, I'm going to be honest, and I'm just, I'm just going to throw this out there. I, I don't like the way he answers half the questions, right? Because some of them are like, bro, just say yes or no. It's easy. No, no, I don't. I, yes, like I think that's easy. But there's a reason why they do that, right? And I, and I can understand why. I just hate it because that's why I'm not a judge. That's why I'm a preacher. Um, but the point is that you have people that are sitting there asking him this question about morality and the way we treat people. 
And yet those same people will sit there and say other things are moral. See, that's the issue that I have because you want to throw morality in my face, but you pick and you choose what you deem moral. See, as believers, we have to say, look, we're not going to pick and choose what we deem moral. We are going to do what? We are going to decide. We're going to be convinced of the truth. Because if not, then here's what happens. Look at verse 5. It says, but the Jews who were not persuaded becoming envious, right? They took some. Look at this now. They took some of the evil men from the marketplace. Now, I want you to get this picture for a moment, right? Just let, let, let's, let's think about what's going on here. It's like us. Like, we're like religious people, right? We're like holy people. We're Jesus-loving people. We're declaring our love and our devotion to Jesus, and, and, and because we're not convinced about somebody who is preaching the truth of Scripture, what we do is we go and we get every person who is ungodly that we know, and we say, hey, let's go and stand up against that Christian. Are you hearing what, what's happening here, right? And, and, and you, you, you can go ahead and you can put your story together. Don't take too long because I've got to move on to the next point. But there's things you see in our culture that are like that, where professing Christians are getting together with ungodly people to do what? To persecute, to bash, to speak bad about believers and speak against the truth of God's word. That's the day in which we live, and we need, and we need a church that's willing to rise up and say, man, we're not going to stand back for this. We're not going to sit back and just let the culture just continue on the way. We are going to stand up and be a people of righteousness. You see, because here's what happens. The gospel message confronts the idols of men's hearts, which is how the culture is turned upside down. Are you here? See, you know what was the problem with these religious people in that moment? They had a certain position of prestige and authority, and guess what? When Paul and them came and preached this message, all of a sudden their followers were like, we ain't following you no more. We're going to follow them. Oh, that bothered them, right? Because now you're messing with my position. You're messing with my authority, right? And then what do they start saying? They're saying he's talking about, they're talking about some other king. Why did that even matter? Because, again, challenging the authority, challenging the idols of men's heart. See, when we think about turning our world upside down, you want to know what has to happen? The idols of men's heart have to be challenged, and men have to repent of their, of their commitment to those idols, Men have to repent of those commitment to their own positions of authority, their own thoughts, their own way of being. They have to be called to repentance. And when they do that, then the culture is turned upside down. Because all of a sudden, men, women, children, we're not living for the things that the culture values. We're living for things that God values. We're living for things that matter to God. We're living for things that bring glory to God. That is our desire and our purpose. And here's the, here's the third thing I want to ask you to repeat after me is this. Say, a world-changing faith is motivated by our love for God. And so I told you we're not going to go through the whole book of Acts, but I do want us to tiptoe through some of the book of Acts. So turn back to Acts chapter 1. And as you're turning there, I'll say a couple of things. God's love revealed in the gospel motivates our love for him, right? So that's one thing. The, the, the love of God that is shown in the gospel motivates our love for him. And then our love for God is shown in our obedience to his word. How do you know? How can you and I measure how we love God or if we love him or not? It's real simple. How do you obey him? Listen, I can say all day long that I love God and, I, and, and I, I can cry and I can get emotional and I can do all of that. But you know what? My love for God is not seen through the tears that I cry. My love for God is seen through the obedience that I live. Because when I love him, I will obey him. When I love him, I take his word seriously. When I love him, I have one desire and that is to please him, right? So for some of you, you know, when you first met the one that you love, hello somebody. 
right? When you met that person and you were trying to gain their favor, boy, you did everything that made them happy. Come on now, right? Like you made sure you smelled a certain way. You made sure you looked a certain way. You made sure you spoke a certain way. You made sure you listened a certain way. Come on now. Right? Like that's the stuff you did because you were trying to earn that person's favor. You learned the things they like. Let me tell you a little story right quick. So I was in love with this lady. You know, I'm married to her now 20-something years. Glory to God. But I, but I was falling in love with her, and I'll never forget, you know, we were going through a really rough part in our relationship. And I was like, you know, I've always been a really inquisitive kind of guy, so I would ask all these questions, and I'm going to be very confessional. You know that you guys know that I am. I listen much better back then than I do now. I'm just going to confess that. And I remember one time my wife, and not my wife at the time, she told me a story. She said that she always wanted to go horseback riding. And I was like, okay. And so it was around her 25th birthday, and I remember... I told her, I said, look, you know, she, she was talking about she needed space and all that. I was like, all right, all right, that's cool. I said, check it out. Can I just take you out just one time, just one time, and then after that, I'll leave you alone. And she was like, okay. And if she tells you the story, she was like, yep, I'm going to let him take me out so he'll leave me alone. I'm like, all right, good. I took her out horseback riding. And can I tell you something? You, you asked her the story. She's going to be like, that was the moment that I was like, God, if this is the one, you need to speak to my heart <laughs> because he listens. Hello, somebody, right? Because I was paying attention, right? I was taking notes, right? I was doing everything I could to earn, right, to, 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 to be in her good graces, right? And that's how it is when we, when we talk about we love God. We learn what pleases him. We learn what honors him, and then we obey that, right? So let's read through this real quick. I love reading scripture. And so verse 1, it starts here, and this is where I give you the, the, um, the, the accounts with who the writer is. The former account I made, O Theophilus, the former account that he's talking about is the book of Luke, the gospel of Luke. Luke wrote Luke, and he also wrote the book of Acts. And he wrote to Theophilus, obviously, to build his faith. Of all that Jesus began both to do and to teach, until the day in which he was taken up after he, through the Holy Spirit, had given commandments, not suggestions, to the apostles whom he had chosen, to whom he also presented himself alive after his suffering by many. Now listen to this. And the reason why I'm reading this part here, it has nothing to do with what I'm going to talk about. I'm just trying to give you some fuel for your faith. I'm trying to give you some tools so that way when someone talks to you about the resurrection, you know where to go to point out, hey, man, there's a historian, and this guy actually is saying some things here that really matter. And so he says this. He says, who made, who, after his suffering, by many infallible proofs being seen by them during 40 days and speaking of the former uh, of, of things pertaining to the kingdom of God. So that's what Jesus communicates. And he said, and being assembled together with them, he commanded them, again, he commanded them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you have heard from me. For John truly baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. And so Jesus gives them a command and he tells them to do something and and they have a choice they can either do what they want or they can obey what he says and they choose to obey as we see and he tells them to wait here because you need power to, to fulfill the mission i'm sending you on you need power listen i want you to know something it is no different today we need the power of god if we are going to see our culture turned upside down 
And, and, and that is going to be cultivated through our relationship with God. And so he goes on to say this. He says, therefore, when they had come together, they asked him, saying, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? And look what Jesus replies. He says, it is not for you to know times or seasons which the Father has put in his own authority, but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. He says, you will receive power. If you wait and you listen to what I'm saying, you will receive power to be witnesses. Notice he didn't say you will speak in tongues. That's not what he said. I think this is so important for all of my, all of my friends that have certain backgrounds in their lives. He said you will receive power. It's not about tongues. It's about power to be witnesses. It's about power. Listen, I believe in speaking in tongues. I speak in tongues. I'm not questioning any of that. What I am saying, it is not about the gift. It is about the power of God manifesting in our lives so that way we can be used to be witnesses. That's the way that we turn the world upside down. And look what it says here. It says, now when he had spoken these things, while they watched, he was taken up, and a cloud received him out of their sight. And while they looked steadfastly toward heaven, as he went up, behold, two men stood by them in white apparel, who also said, men of Galilee, why do you stand gazing up into heaven? This Jesus, who was taken up from you into heaven, will so come in like manner as you saw him go into heaven. And it says, then they returned to Jerusalem, where Jesus commanded them to be, from the mount called Olivet, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day's journey. And when they had entered, they went up into the upper room where they were staying. Peter, James, John, and Andrew, Philip, and Thomas, Bartholomew, and Matthew, James, the son of Alphaeus, Simon, the zealot, Judas, the son of James. These all continued with one accord in prayer and supplication with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brothers. What did they do? They obeyed. They obeyed what Jesus said. They obeyed because of what? This shows us what love really looks like. And let me tell you something that I believe. One of the greatest issues that we see in the church world today is people who are moved by the Holy Spirit emotionally because the Spirit of God works in our emotions to make a commitment to Jesus who do not cultivate a relationship with Jesus. And then what ends up happening is their, 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 their commitment begins to wane. You see, they're moved by, the, the Spirit of God moves. Listen, I believe firmly, God created us with emotions. Therefore, God moves and our emotions are moved as well. You don't repent until your mind, your heart are changed, right? This is something that occurs. The problem is not with that. The problem is when you don't cultivate that relationship with Jesus. When you don't cultivate a relationship with Jesus, your commitment wanes because what? It's like... I felt that one day, man, I was feeling it, you know, I was like, okay, you know, I'm, I was a youth pastor for a long time, and I had, you know, plenty of experiences with our youth. I mean, thank God we did retreats, and we used to see the power of God come upon these young people. I mean, I remember one youth retreat we had, I mean, the Spirit of the Lord moved kids that were the hardest ever. Man, these kids were repenting, they were weeping, they were turning to the Lord. It was awesome. And then you know what sadly happened? What sadly happened is a couple of months later down the road, some of these kids were like not even thinking about Jesus anymore. They weren't concerned about Jesus anymore. Why, why, why was that? Because they need to sit in a camp all their life? I don't know, maybe. <laughs> no, it was because they didn't cultivate a relationship with Jesus. We don't cultivate that relationship, you don't grow. But here's the opposite is true as well. When we commit to knowing God, here's what happens. Our love for him grows, our reflection of him increases, and our impact for his kingdom expands. 
See, when we, when we cultivate that relationship, we start to love him more. We start to care. We start to recognize that. And, and, and I have to say this because as I was thinking about this, love must be understood as a strong verb. Are you here? Not, not some weak word, because whenever we think of love, like sometimes we think of love, and I don't know, we think of hearts, we think of doves, we think, I don't, I don't know what you think about, like when you hear the word love. But I know some people like, love is like, ah, love. Listen, for God so loved the world, right, action verb, right, when you think about love, love is something that moves people beyond what other feelings and emotions can move them to. Right? Love is, it, it moved them. This is what these people understood. They understood that love for God meant that they were going to be willing to give their life no matter what it cost. That they were going to be willing to give their life to the Lord for his purposes no matter what it cost. That's what it means to love God. It means that I love him with everything. And they started by what? They started by going to Jerusalem and praying. They continued in prayer, seeking the face of the Lord, cultivating their relationship with God, per- passionately pursuing God so they could see what God wanted to do through them. You see, what we see throughout the book of Acts, and I'm getting ready to wrap up here, we see a people who committed to prayer doing what? Standing upon God's promise. We see a people committed to proclaiming the truth of Jesus' death and resurrection in the face of the greatest potential of death. I want you to think about that. They were there. They, they, I mean, they were willing to follow Jesus and preach this message no matter what it cost them. Christianity was not legal. See, we, we, don't, we, we have a problem understanding what was happening here because we live in such a free society, right? I was saying about the whole thing on C-SPAN. I mean, these people are up there and they're, you know, they're getting up in the middle of the, of the hearing and they're you know, yelling out and they're talking and they're doing all this stuff. I mean, they arrested so many people. It was crazy in there. But listen to me. They, they, they didn't have freedom of speech back in these days. Are you here? You couldn't just talk how you wanted to talk. You couldn't just believe what you wanted to believe. These people were putting their life on the line. They weren't just going to jail. They were putting their life on the line for what they believed in. And it was because of what? Because they loved God. Because God loved them first. And the last thing, I want you to turn to this, Acts chapter 4, because I need you to see this here. Because we see a people who were known for their, for their having been with the Lord over their education and their intelligence. Acts chapter 4, and look at verse 13. And what we see here in the book of Acts, we've seen them praying, we've seen them seeking God, we see these people preaching, we see miracles happening, we see a mighty, mighty move of God's spirit happening in this place. And look what the Bible says here. Paul and, 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 um, and John, I mean, Peter and John had been arrested and they had been threatened. They had been told they couldn't speak in the name of the Lord. And look what happens here. It says, now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated and untrained men, they marveled. And they realized that they had been with Jesus. You know, there, 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 there are certain statements in the book of Acts that just grab my heart. And this is one of them. These guys weren't known because they were such great debaters. They weren't known because they were such great communicators of truth. They weren't known because they had a doctorate degree in this or because they knew they were known because of one thing. They had been with Jesus. They have walked with Jesus and their lives reflected him. Their lives emulated him, right? They, they were imitators of Christ. They were, they were demonstrating, they were reflecting Jesus in such a way that these people were like, man, these guys, I mean, we just threatened their lives. We told them to be quiet. We told them they couldn't speak. They continue to be bold. And when they're communicating, we recognize, man, these people have been with Jesus. Why does that matter? 
It's because what they're saying is these people have seen the resurrected Christ. It wasn't just that they had been with Jesus for three years. It was that they had been with the resurrected one. They had been with Jesus. And see, here's what I realize when we talk about love and love being a strong word. This, this all shows us what committed, what it means when we say we're committed to loving God. You know what that means? It always equals radical obedience. That's what loving God always does. When you and I say we love God, you know what we're going to be? We're going to be radical for Christ. We're going to be different than everyone else in our culture when it comes to living righteously. We're going we're gonna to be different than everyone else when it comes to the way that we live, the way that we act, the way that we think, right? Young people, you're not going to do the things that everybody else is doing in your schools, right? You're not going to be thinking the way that the people think in your school because what? You're going to feel opposed to the ideas. When they're playing certain music, you're going to be like, man, I'm not feeling that. Because what? There's something inside. There's certain things you're not going to want to watch. Because what? Because, man, that just doesn't, that just doesn't do something. Inside of me, there's something wrong here. There's going to be certain activities that people are going to want to do and you're just not going to want to participate in them and adults let me help you out this is not just for young people hello it's for us as well if we're not feeling uncomfortable with certain things and there's a problem right there's an issue it's not like well they're kids so they need to be holy no no no. you're adults you need to lead in holiness we need to walk in this holiness we need to demonstrate this radical devotion to Jesus that shows that we really love God and so here's the closing question I have for you is your life marked by a commitment to loving God is your life marked by that you know what if you went around and you asked some people around you you know man do you think that I love God what would they say how about this if you asked your enemies If they think you love God, what would they say? So if the silence is that you're feeling like a real weight, I want you to know, I already told you this earlier, Jesus died to liberate you of that weight, to fill you with his spirit and to give you the grace to live holy and to live a life that glorifies and honors him. So I'll stand together and let's pray. Lord, thank you so very much for my brothers, for my sisters, and for the guests that are here today. Thank you for the privilege that we have to be together, to hear your word, God, and to be challenged by your truth. I just pray, Lord, that you would direct and that you would guide us into a deeper relationship with you. And even as we sung today, God, that we would really want more of you, that we would really hunger for more of you, not just on a Sunday morning, but every day of the week. That we would really hunger more for you, Lord God, every moment, every opportunity that we get. That we would really, really desire you. Father, remove obstacles, remove barriers, remove excuses, and help us to bring you glory, to bring you honor, and all that we do, Lord. I pray for anyone in this place that has not committed their life to you, who has not repented of their sin and trusted you as the Savior that is risen. God, may they be drawn to you today. May they surrender to you today. May their lives be changed forever. God, we thank you for this, and we pray all of this in Jesus' good name. And everyone said, amen. Amen. Come on, give the Lord a hand of praise.